0: Well, good morning, everyone. Is everybody psyched for VBS? Yeah, Yeah. all right. Um, You know, a a lot of times even the vast majority of our volunteers show up here on Monday morning and they are ready to hit it, but man, when you're here for the easily the two weeks going on, three weeks at least before VBS ever hits, the the VBS team, Cindy and her group, they're here like all the time, and so if you see a VBS... uh, team member that's part of the management team give him a hug this morning and encourage him so okay let's get started Um, Dr. West Stafford uh, wrote this regarding childhood he said childhood we only get one pass at it and yet it dictates the quality of the rest of our lives what we think feel experience and endure in the earliest phase is the single most important indicator of what the rest of our life is going to look like. And this morning we are going to be talking about compassion for children and how we can impact children for their life. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, all week long I have just felt like uh, Satan does not want this stuff put out there. He doesn't want your word to get out to people. He's put a lot of challenges in front of us. And um, so I would just pray that as we all come in here this morning, each and every one of us will just come in, be able to sit the stresses of life outside those doors, and come in with the posture to be open and let you work on our hearts, help to grow us as compassionate Christians. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so um, I'm going to give you just tell you how this, this kind of goes. We're going to go dark here early on, then we'll level off, and then we'll end on a positive note, okay? So just, just hang with me. We'll have this can-do moment at the very end. Um, we have a, a sermon uh, for the whole summer. Uh, there will be a passage that will be kind of our foundational pa- passage, and it's from Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Would you guys read that with me right now? Now, um, this passage tells us very clearly that our, our minds and our hearts need to be focused on Jesus. He's sitting at the right hand of God. And the earthly things that are going on around us, all the junk, that, this relationship impacts everything here. And you're going to have to remember this passage because it's going to come into play in just a little bit. Now, we defined compassion, er, we had people traveling, so I'm going to go through a super fast few minutes of review from last week. We defined compassion as a deep awareness of the suffering of another coupled with the wish to relieve it. In other words, we feel, we don't even just see people suffering, but we actually start to feel that pain and we identify with it and then we are called to act not just like, oh yeah, I feel bad, but actually called to act. And our passage for this whole series, our compassion series, is Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly love, clothe yourselves. Our clothes are on the outside of us. People see that. People should see our compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So we talked last week about three things. We're called to be compassionate. The Bible teaches us that, the, our, that God is the father of compassion, Jesus demonstrated great compassion. The scriptures say over and over, he saw, he noticed the people, he was filled with compassion for them, and he acted. We're called to imitate God in Ephesians 5:1. We want to be like our heavenly Father. We're instructed by the New Testament writers to be compassionate. And Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And 1 John 5, 3 says, this is love for God, to obey what he commands. And so when we follow the the command of being compassionate, we are actually loving God. Then we talked about the fact that we need to know biblical principles. We need to be in God's word so that we can do compassion well. And we can't turn to the left or to the right. The Bible's very clear about that. It's not about our opinion. It's about God's opinion. And so the reason that that's so important is because when you have tensions, natural tensions that rise up in compassion, you can go ahead and do it the right way. Tensions like, I have limited resources, but there are unlimited needs. This person needs something, and this person needs something. I need to have discernment to make the right decision. This person or persons are going directly against God's will. How do I love them and show compassion without enabling them, but more along the lines of empowering them? And so that's where we pick up right now. I want to just kind of give a state of the children address, if you want to call it that. We're going to talk worldwide, one specific country, and then the U.S. and Columbus. Poverty wields a long list of weapons, such as infant mortality, hunger, disease, illiteracy, and child labor, just to name a few. And children who are the most vulnerable in our society suffer greatly. Ten percent of the working poor worldwide live on a $1.90 or less per day. That is $60 per month. One out of every ten people. Almost half the world, over three billion people, live on less than $2.50 a day. That's $75 a month per person. Think about how far you could get if you only had $75 for everything. At least 80% of humanity lives on less than $10 a day. That's less than $300 per month. According to UNICEF, 22,000 children die each day due to poverty and they die quietly in some of the poorest villages on earth, far removed from the scrutiny and the conscience of the world. Out of sight and out of mind for us here in this area. In developing countries, Nearly half of all mothers and newborns do not receive skilled care during and immediately after birth. That's unheard of in our country. There's all kinds of prenatal care going into a pregnancy and coming out of for both the mom and the baby. Up to two-thirds of newborn deaths can be prevented if known effective measures are provided at birth and during the first week of life. Oftentimes, many of the problems that we see with poverty can be solved by penicillin, basic medicines, and clean water. Now, I'm going to drill down a little farther because a little deeper because many in this church have spent time in Haiti. It is one of our countries we really focus on. And my son and my son know our youngest son will be, and we're going to be going there at the end of the month. And just looking forward to that. Our other boys have been there. Um, It is currently the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Estimates show that the massive 7.0 magnitude earthquake that struck Haiti in 2010 killed over 300,000 people and left 1.5 million homeless. A recent report, though, shows that about six or seven years after that, there are still 172,000 people living in makeshift tent camps without access to toilets and drinking water, and Haiti has had a massive outbreak of cholera, and they're having a hard time getting it under control. A staggering statistic, nearly one out of every four children in Haiti aged six months to five years experience chronic malnutrition, according to UNICEF. Malnutrition is the major underlying cause of death in children under five in Haiti. Their kids are just trying to get enough food to eat. Americans spend probably billions of dollars to go to a an exercise place to get rid of exercise, exercise, excise weight. That's kind of just the whole thing doesn't fit. Regarding suburban poverty in our very own city, according to an April 2016 dispatch article, now keep in mind everywhere there's poverty, there's children affected. I found this very shocking. Columbus has the biggest jump in suburban poverty in the state. A new report on Ohio's poor found nearly 12% of suburban Columbus residents live in poverty, up from 7% in 2000. Now, what this means is we're not talking downtown. We're talking our neighbors and the burbs here. Columbus has the state's greatest concentration of suburban poor, according to the annual state of poverty report. According to the report, between 2000 and 2013, Columbus suburbs have experienced both the fastest population growth, 22.8%, but listen to this, the fastest growth in suburban poverty, up 113.6% in Ohio. And this report underscored that Ohio's poor are more likely to live in the burbs than the urban neighborhoods, which we more commonly associate with poverty. Nearly half of Ohio's poor live in the suburbs, while one in three are more concentrated in cities. We're all very familiar with the area of child pornography. It is one of the fastest-growing businesses online with an estimated revenue of $3 billion a year. The Association of Sites Advocating Child Protection estimates that the United States has the largest share of commercialized pornography websites with close to 50% of the global value. What an embarrassment and evil. A staggering statistic in this report that I got this from stated that peer-to-peer users, those who share images, were more likely to have images of very young children and violent images. Of the peer-to-peer users arrested in 2009, 33 percent had photos of children age three or younger, and 42 percent had images of children that showed sexual violence. In sermons and in classroom settings and in discussion with our teens here at Discover, we have talked about human trafficking and even more specifically about sex trafficking of minors. It is a huge problem in Ohio. Human trafficking is the second fastest growing criminal industry just behind drug trafficking the average age of entry into the commercial sex industry is 13 years of age. In Ohio alone more than 3,000 minors are at risk for sex trafficking and a staggering 1,000 kids from Ohio are trafficked during the year. Ohio is a prime field for exploitation for several reasons. We have an extensive highway system we have a large number of truck stops. We have close proximity to an international border. And we have a high number of children living in poverty, which is right at about 24%. Victims come from all geographic backgrounds, rural, suburban, urban, and all socioeconomic levels. It's in our own backyard. A six, a six on your side segment about Grace Haven and sex trafficking of minors. The, the reporter specifically mentioned this, and this is what she did. She said, this is specifically happening in some of our nicest neighborhoods. And she named Dublin, Upper Arlington, and Powell. My good friend and fellow DCC member, Jen Stokes, works with Graveshaven. She'll have a table outside here, and she has worked in Catch Court, which works with girls that have been sex trafficked. And they uh, track data on all participants, arrest, jail days, the number of relapses, and that kind of thing. And she pointed out a very telling fact. From 2009 to 2015, data shows that 92% of women arrested for prostitution in Columbus were trafficked. 100% of the women arrested were exposed to sexual assault. So we may have very uh, preconceived notions about prostitution, as if somebody woke up one day and said, I don't feel like going and getting a job, I will just go be a prostitute where in actuality 9 out of 10 were taken and placed in prostitution. Remember, the average age entering the commercial sex industry is 13 years old. Now these are staggering statistics. They can be overwhelming. And so what do we do? How can we individually take care of people? And so this is where we now level off the plane and we'd start to study what the scriptures tell us. Principle number one, if you're following along in your outline, children are very special to Jesus. Mark 9, 36 through 37, uh, the the disciples, who just didn't get it, had been arguing about who was going to be first, who was going to be the greatest among them, and Jesus dealt with that. And then he took and did this. He took a little child whom he placed among them. And taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Whenever we are ministering to children, what Jesus is saying is you're not just ministering to the child, you're welcoming me. You're welcoming my heavenly Father who sent me. This week, when we get tired and we're pushing it for VBS, look at those children and realize as we minister to them, we are ministering to Jesus in essence. He's saying, you're welcoming me. Wow, is that an energizing thing? In Mark 10, 13 through 16, the people were pushing their children, trying to get Jesus to bless them. And I took this out of the the message it says the people brought children to Jesus hoping he might touch them the disciples shooed them off but Jesus was irate and let them know it don't push these children away don't ever get between me and them now there's a point in there that can be lost don't ever be a stumbling block for a child parents shouldn't be a stumbling block none of us should be a stumbling block between Jesus In a child. Then he goes on to say, these children are at the very center of life in the kingdom. Mark this, unless if you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. Jesus makes a point, this is a dual meaning, dual teaching thing here, where he's saying, hey, when you come to me, come with a childlike faith. Don't make this more difficult than it needs to be. You need to trust me and love me. That's what children do. And then he goes on to wrap it up. He says, then he gathered them up in his arms and he laid his hands of blessing on them. How cool would that have been to be a little kid and been blessed by Jesus? Now we go to the second one here. We need to understand who the problem really is. And in your outline, you can write down, it is Satan. Dr. Wes Stafford was the CEO and the president of Compassion International for 20 years. And he was with Compassion for 35. And in his book, Too Small to Ignore, he made a very vivid point about child suffering. Theologically, I know this. But I don't get up in the morning and think this way. And that's why I'm going to share this with you, because... He gave me a perspective that I found very pointed. He said, I spent 28 years ministering to children around the world. He saw kids in all different countries suffer greatly. He saw kids that live in the lap of luxury. And he said, I knew that there had to be conclusion why the great institutions of this world ignore children, governments or churches or missions or whatever it might be. Not all of them do it, but some do. And he came to this conclusion about why we have these problems. He said it's about an invisible battle, a spiritual war that rages over each and every child. It is above us and beyond us and engages the full fury of the hosts of both heaven and hell. Children may be ignored by government, church, and mission, but not by Satan and not by God. He goes on to talk about how Satan, he was the chief angel. He would have been there. He saw the joy that God experienced creating. He saw the joy in Adam being created, and immediately he gets joy from destroying mankind. And he's been doing it ever since. And this is the part that I found so telling. Stafford writes, at the moment of birth, all heaven stands in breathless anticipation and breaks into shouts of joy and praise. Each child is born into the world loved, loved by God, not always into loving situations. Each child is born into the world loved and full of potential to bring joy to the heart of God. A little flame flickers deep in the child's being. It reflects a dignity and worth made in the image of God Almighty. Meanwhile, Satan and his evil host stand ready to pounce and destroy that life as quickly and completely as possible, knowing how that will break the heart of God. All of heaven and hell are present and focused on the newborn life for vastly different reasons. Both have strategic designs for this little one. <clears throat> Given this frightening warfare between heaven and hell, it's all the more ironic that children are seemingly so unimportant to many adults. While all of heaven stands and cheers when the little one is born and all of heaven hurls itself at its destruction. Many go glibly about their day, not worrying about children. Paul tells us in Ephesians that this is true. He writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might put on the full armor of God, that you may stand against the schemes of the devil." For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. See, when we think about flesh and blood, we think about child pornographers or the people that make kids sick uh, from poverty or whatever it might be. But he says, we, uh, those are schemes of the devil. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic power, powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places." See, our underlying verse is saying, hey, keep your minds and your hearts always pointed towards Jesus. And Paul is telling us here, hey, Satan is always attacking. We are in spiritual warfare, and he's going directly after children. They are the most vulnerable. This week, as our D group met, we're studying First and Second Peter, and we all picked this verse as a, a, a verse that meant something to us. It says, "Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour." We've all seen the National Geographic things where the lions circle the antelope herd, and they're looking for little babies that are going to wander off, or for some one of them to not pay attention, or for a weak one, and then they attack. That same image should apply here when we're talking about children. You see, when we're talking about compassion for children, this becomes less about the child pornography and about poverty or health issues and more about I will fight for every soul. I will fight for the soul of just one child. I want to say to Satan, get your hands off of him or her, and I'm going to take them out. I'm protecting them. This is about using our time and our resources and our skills to win a battle over just one child. It's one battle won, and that little child can go to heaven because of your impact in their life. Another principle Jesus seemingly gravitated to those who were disadvantaged, people who couldn't help themselves or were outcasts of society. Children, again, are the most vulnerable of society, and we are to follow Jesus' example. We know that he would go in and he would heal the mute, the deaf, the crippled, the blind, and the demon-possessed. He hung out with the, just the, the, the worst of the sinners. He would just gravitate for, to those who just seemed to be in total distress. James one twenty-seven drives home the point of taking care of those in extreme distress. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself, pro- keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You see, in the ancient world, unwanted children were abandoned to die. They still are. You will hear this particularly in India. Orphans were rarely cared for by the state or by private foundations. There weren't any. And without family on their own, children were in distress. Younger women depended on their parents for support, and then when they got married, since there was so much work to be done in the home, they rarely worked outside of it. And if their husband died, and they didn't have children to support them, then they were doomed to poverty. And James puts this principle in place that still today that hey widows and children in our society at that time are the ones that are most distressed and christians take care of those people and in our society today christians need to take care of those that struggle the most the next principle is that we must act to meet physical and emotional needs 1 john 3:17 doesn't even need an explanation If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love with words or speech. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This struck me this week. Sometimes... I bet some of you experience this. I'm not moved. I see things and they just overwhelms me sometime, or I just have put up a, a tough veneer, and I'm not moved, and I was challenged to like, you know, how much of the love of God is in my heart. But he's saying you need to act. You can't just show up here on Sunday, sing, and that type of thing, call yourself a Christian. Our faith is manifested through action. Proverbs 1431 says, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And lastly, uh, the principle we know very well is a child's spiritual development must be a top priority because this not only is emotional and physical uh, help vital, but we want them to be in heaven. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says. Moses is talking to the Israelites, and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He tells them these commandments, these are the adults, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then he says, I want you to impress these same commandments on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. From the time they get up till the time they go to bed, we should be talking and teaching our children about spiritual things about God. Ephesians 6.4 is very pointed. It gives fathers a role in the spiritual development of their children. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. In other words, don't tick them off, don't jerk their chain, but instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Many fathers have abandoned this, but many fathers have abandoned the home altogether. For whatever reason, God has given men and fathers in particular the role to be the spiritual leader in this particular area. And when the father is absent from the home, that's when other men need to step in and fill that gap. So we take those principles now, and now we're going to go back up. We're going to have some can-do moments right here. How do we show compassion to children? Dr. Stafford talks about his childhood. Uh, it's a great book, again. It's too too small to ignore. And he talks about growing up as a missionary kid in an African village. And it's everything that you would think of. They're shooting baboons and shooting mangoes out of trees, and, and uh, it, it's… It, he was out in the bush country completely. And he said that the amazing thing is that those little boys that he grew up with <clears throat> had dreams, like just like our own kids do. One would dream of being a great hunter. Another one would dream of being an iron worker, that he would make tools and things that the village people would use. And another one would maybe dream of being a warrior. They had dreams. All kids have dreams. But by the time he was 15, he had lost over 50% of his friends. Many of them died due to measles, and he wanted to know why his friends were dying. And his daddy said, you won't die because you have little scratches on your arm. And he said, I want those little boys to have scratches on their arms because he had had the measles vaccination and didn't die from it. But see, poverty and abuse and all those things kill a child's dreams. And when dreams are gone, then hope is lost. And as compassionate Christians, our role is to restore a child's dream, to restore their hope, to tell them about Jesus. How do we do that? First of all, it can begin by something as simple as just cutting back. You may be like, hey, I don't have anything to to give up. But if you start thinking about it, well, maybe I have an add-on on on my cable, or maybe I could cut back on some whistles and bells on something I was going to buy. Whatever it might be, we don't necessarily have to have this every month. We can free up time and we can free up money to help a child. In the area of sex trafficking, if this has touched your heart this morning, Man, talk to Jen Stokes. Where are you at, Jen? Oh, Will you stand up so people can see who you are? <laughs> Jen is an expert in this area. She works for Grace Haven, which is a ministry that deals with girls that have been sex trafficked. She has worked with Catch Court, and she's very knowledgeable. She knows these girls by name, and so she's a great resource to have here at this church, and she has a, uh, a, a table out there. If you see something suspicious, and you're like, things don't look right, then call the Human Trafficking Resource Center. This number is very easy to remember, even for me, who's not got the greatest memory, 888-3737-888. And they will at least talk to you and help you decide whether you should pursue it. We need mentors. We have a lot of kids here. Um, single-parent homes that uh, I love our single parents, and many of them are carrying an extra burden. And particularly with young guys, we need, we need other men to just come alongside of them to help them just teach them how to put a worm on a hook or go to their ball ballgame teach, or teach them how to ba- box out in basketball or show up their concerts or wherever it might be. And if you would be willing to do that, you need to see me about that. You can be a tutor at River, Riverside Elementary. That starts in the fall when school kicks back in, and Dave Welsh would be your contact for that, and he can give you more details. You could build a house in Haiti. You're like, man, I can't even afford the house I've got now. And, um, but here's the thing. Houses in Haiti are basically one room. They might have a little petition in them, but in those little tiny one-room houses, they will get mom and dad Maybe four or five kids and grandma living in that house. And they think that they have the pad. I mean, they think they've got a great home. S- many of the homes, I, I-, I don't remember, the- I'm not going to quote it, but I just know the houses that Lifeline built in Haiti survived the earthquake. You can build a house in Haiti for $4,475. Maybe you can join up with somebody. Hey, what about you guys? You know, some, Whatever. Our son Noah has felt the call on his life last summer at CIY to, to build a house in Haiti, and he's working on that right now. You can educate yourselves, and if you have kids, have them watch this video. Go to Lifeline CM. There's no spaces there, Lifeline CM and watch a day in the life of a child in Haiti. How many of you uh, complained about your car for anything this week? Any any complaint at all about your car? All right. Um, There's a comic little thing. It's super fast. you got to watch it carefully. But there's like four people on this motorcycle. It looks like grandma's on this motorcycle with everybody else, and they take off from church. It teaches us that we we don't have that bad here (laughs) in, in Dublin. And then lastly, uh, talk to Dave Welsh. Dave is our outreach minister. He takes care of things both locally and, and globally. And he's a wealth of information. And he can talk to you about what are your strengths and weaknesses. And maybe by trial and error, he can help you find your niche on how to serve children. Now, we told you last week that we would try to give you, not every week, but some weeks, an opportunity For you to put your faith into action Um, by the way just out of curiosity if you have been to like a country like India Haiti Honduras or whatever with a short-term mission trip will you just stand please right now I'm only doing this because I want people to see that our church takes this very seriously all right thank you Um, I would just encourage people to get involved in our global missions here and make it a goal in your life to go to a country and make a difference. But this morning you can do that. Uh, Audra Norman, who is the sponsorship development director, where are you at? Audra, are you in the room here somewhere? There she is right over here. She takes care of child sponsorship with Lifeline Christian Mission, and she also has a table out there, and Cheryl will be joining her, my wife, because she works at Lifeline too. And here's the deal you can sponsor a child in Haiti or Honduras for $40 a month, and that will provide them with food, education, and medical care. $40. Many of you already sponsor kids, but maybe you've been moved this morning. It's like, man, we can find $40 out of our budget. I want to make a difference, I want to fight. For one child, I'll take Satan on. I want one child. And they're all laid out there. She's got 24 kids. And you can look through there and say, I identify with that child. This, this child would fit with our family. We're going to take him. Our goal this morning is to sign up 10 children, 10 new sponsored child, children this morning. Remember, this is all about winning one battle for one child at a time. It's about restoring their dreams and about restoring their hope. And it's about teaching them about Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are blessed to live here in this community that uh, when you think about the rest of the world, we live in just lavish luxury. Um, And help us to just, again, develop a heart where we feel the pain of not having food to eat or not being educated, can't even go to school, or whatever it might be, help us to be a church that has just a deep compassion for hurting people. That would be our prayer. We thank you that we were born here, but we also, again, just ask that you will prompt our hearts and help us to make a difference in the life of a child. Help us to be always mindful that Satan is prowling. And help us us to remember that we live in a world of spiritual warfare and to keep our guard up. Use us this week as we minister to children through VBS. I lift up Cindy and her hardworking VBS team just that you will bless them and give them energy all the volunteers this week as we reach out to kids and love them. And we would pray that you would feel welcomed in the ministry that happens through VBS. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We are going to enter a time of communion and it'll give you a time right now to just reflect back on your week, on a time of, of uh, just uh, what the Jesus did on the cross for you. And um, so if you would... We'll take it to commune.